Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. And today's guest is the founder and CEO of Ion Franchising, an industry-leading franchise consulting and development group that helps prospective entrepreneurs find their perfect franchise for free and assists owners in creating a franchise system. He started on Wall Street after receiving an economics degree, then joined a TGI Fridays franchise. So he's been in this for a while. He was a multi-unit, multi-state franchisee of Wingstop and Krispy Kreme Donuts. I have to admit, it's one of my favorites. Always looking for that hot donut sign. He's become the industry leader in donuts. He's the founder of the donut chain called Pink Box in Las Vegas. He's been the president of various franchise advisory councils and boards. He routinely provides advisory services to private equity firms covering the restaurant industry. And in other words, he's all about food and donuts. Please welcome Lance Growlick. Hi, Don Lance. Thanks, Dr. Gary. That's a wonderful introduction. I'm happy to be here. Can't talk about your donuts. What made you decide to get into the whole franchise industry, the franchise business? Was it because of the work that you did at TGI Fridays or how did that come about? That's pretty much exactly right. Because of my jump from Wall Street to Main Street, so to speak, you know, in the franchise world, I realized at TGI Fridays that franchising was an amazing system. You know, you're really borrowing somebody else's brand and trademark and system and you just work hard within that framework. It minimizes the risk and, you know, maximizes the opportunity for you. And, uh, But yeah, from Wall Street, I got a call from a family friend that was setting up a TGI Fridays franchise and said, come help me with this. And five years into it, we went from nothing to $225 million a year in revenue. It was pretty incredible. So you were at the very start of the TGI Fridays franchise. At that franchise, yeah, we had only four locations when I joined and through a lot of acquisitions, new store development as well. We ramped up very quickly within five years. Wow, that's a great story. You know, you hear a lot about one of the biggest challenges in the restaurant industry are the people and we're all about leadership. So how did you learn to handle the management, all the waiters, waitresses, bartenders, servers, cooks, chefs, whatever in that industry when you were growing so fast? I mean, that must have been a real challenge. Yeah. And I think that's while I was on Wall Street, while I enjoyed it and I have an economics degree, I lost, I missed the people aspects of things. Throughout college, I I worked in restaurants and bars and I really enjoyed that as crazy as that sounds. You know, Wall Street's easy. You're not cleaning fryers and toilets and what have you, as as you are in the restaurant business, it can be a dirty business. And to your point, restaurant turnover is typically about 150%. It's a tough industry. What I can tell you, I certainly was not an expert going into TGI Fridays, but I learned to become an expert in hiring for the hospitality industry. It'll probably be the very first book that I ever write will be on that because it's really all about hiring the right person in the first place. In most situations, I see people that are in a hurry, especially in the restaurant industry. They're in a hurry to hire. Um, Somebody quit with no notice or something happened where you're in a pinch. You need to hire. And a lot of people hire too quickly 
and, and just don't get the right individual. And then if you have the right wrong individual and you attempt to train them, how do you think that's going to Well, you're going to be hiring another wrong individual. This is a great topic for leadership that we struggle with all the time in hiring the right people. In fact, Jim Collins in Good to Great, which I quote all the time, he says, first who, then what? First who, then what? So talk a little bit about the first few chapters of your new book that you're going to be writing here about what do you look at? What do you consider in hiring and how do you go about what that process look like? Well, I always look at the best case scenario in hiring. What I do when I come to a market, it all starts with setting up your core team. So when I go to a new market, for example, when I was opening Krispy Kreme in Utah, first Krispy Kreme shop in Utah many, many years ago, what I did was I started calling the local restaurants that I thought would have leaders, GMs, AGMs, that would fit a, a Krispy Kreme shop. Krispy Kreme was high volume back then, and I'm sure it still is. So I called, let's say, Applebee's or Chili's or Outback. And I called in the morning and I asked for the GM. Typically, the GM would answer the phone early in the morning when they weren't open. I say, hey, I'm opening a Krispy Kreme donut shop down the street from you in the next couple of months. I'm looking for leaders just like you. If you happen to know of anyone, here's my information. And amazingly, one of those people that I spoke to ended up being our first GM. But then here's the follow-up, Gary, that gets pretty so then I made appointments to see anybody. And this is really before LinkedIn, before Facebook, before social media in general. So it's not like they could look up what I look like or anything. But what happened was I asked everybody's schedule and I made appointments to see them. I, I made it sort of a mystery. I said, I'm going to be in town this week. Give me your whole work schedule and I'll work around you and I'll figure it out. Well, the reason I was asking for their entire work schedule. So for example, the guy at Applebee's, the GM, I went and visited his shop while he was working. What does the parking lot look like? What does the outside of the building look like? What kind of condition is it in? How is the staff? And it was pretty incredible because the staff was amazing. We don't have enough time to go through the details, but I can remember some details of how nice the hostess was. I sat at the bar for a moment. I asked the bartender, hey, I, I, I said, uh, I, I think I know the GM. And I was, of course, making up stories, wanting to hear what the bartender's opinion of the GM was. And she said, oh, he's right over there. And uh, I said, do you like working here? She said, oh, this is a training store, she said so proudly. And I've been with the company for six years and our GM is phenomenal. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. Great team, et cetera. So long story short, it's an interesting, uh, I guess, uh, avenue and how you hire. But I get pretty creative and I have a lot of interesting ways to hire appropriately. Now, once you get the, the GM, to get the staff is also pretty easy. But I tend to also discover or find my, my team members, my staff. You know, you walk into a Starbucks and somebody gives you great service, hand them a business card and say, look, I'm not necessarily looking to steal you, but I'm looking for people just like you. And when they see a nice person, hand them a business card, maybe they're only part-time at Starbucks and they're looking for something full-time. More importantly, they might have friends or family just like them that are looking. I love to hire people that have no experience in the hospitality industry. What a great process, Bill, because you're seeing them in their native environment, right? They can't BS you at an interview saying, oh, yeah, I care about serving. You know, oh, yeah, I keep the place clean. You just, you saw it. Gary, you know the, the old famous saying about interviews, the best you're going to see an employee is at their interview. The best, because they're going to tell you whatever they think you want to hear. 
So if you can find them or catch them doing something right in, a, in an existing work environment, you're going to have a good employee. So what do you what do you look for if you don't have that kind of vetting process where you can't go to a store, you can't see somebody and you need to hire a GM? What do you look for in these leaders? Well, I mean, there's a lot of basic core competencies of leadership. You know, what are their communication skills, eye contact, obviously experience, put them in, you know, the old situational leadership type mm-hmm. things. What would you do if ask them certain situations to kind of to judge to judge their leadership style. You know, checking references becomes very important although in the litigious society we live in today, you can't seem to trust when you call for a reference are they just telling you anything? You know, yeah, they're fine. Are they rehirable? Are they lying to you? You don't know. There's no control. Oh, I'm telling you great stories because we want to get rid of them. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. But, you know, the, these days between LinkedIn and social media, checking all of that, you know, if you have multiple interviews with somebody, whether it's a GM or a fry cook, I really believe you have a much larger chance of success. I've interviewed people where they show up for the third interview and all of a sudden they smell like they had a rough night the night before, if you know what I mean. Maybe they're the alcohol is coming out of their pores or they smell like smoke now and they can't, I can't even have a conversation with them. The more interviews you, you have with somebody, the better. For staff, I do panel interviews. I actually invite core staff or team members to do interviews as well. I've actually done that for GMs where I've invited core staff and, and supervisors to offer my their opinion in those situations. It's a culture thing. You know, it's a culture. Yeah, yeah and there's so many things you can pick up on. When I would interview people, I would always say the process is multiple interviews with multiple people in multiple settings. And I would always take uh, executives that I was uh, looking to hire uh, to a restaurant, see how they treated the wait staff. You know, I would uh, set some things up with the wait staff and say, I want you to do something wrong. And see how they handle it. (laughs) Well, you know, if you did that, now you have to hear what I did on a setup. I was hiring a busser in a restaurant, and uh, it was it was a key daytime position. And his third and final interview, he thought he was coming in to see me. And the reality is, I knew I had him come in during a peak period, and he sat at the counter. And it was a complete setup. I knew we were going to be slammed. It was a Friday, if I remember correctly. And core staff were going to be running by and sitting with him for literally 30 seconds at a time, telling him how busy I was. And we're so sorry just to see how he would handle that. He wasn't going to really have an interview, but core staff kept two different people kept running by and asking him little questions. And those questions were part of his interview. Sure. And he passed with flying colors. I would have been sitting there because I, I vibrate. I wouldn't be able to sit there and go, well, you're so busy. Can I just help? Can I have the job? I mean, let me, <laughs> let me get up and help you out here. I'm a busboy. Gosh, I can, I can grab some dishes. I mean, you know, let's get he, to work. <laughs> he, de- he definitely did offer. and uh, But no, it was an interesting setup and he didn't get frustrated. There are other people that get frustrated and, and say things like, well, I don't understand. We had an appointment, <laughs> you know, and well, that's not the person you want to hire. Then <laughs> things happen. There's so many ways to get creative with this. I mean, uh, Southwest Airlines is, is famous for the interviewing process they do with a panel where they ask people, three people from Southwest will interview five people that are being interviewed and they ask them, why do you want to work at Southwest? Well, one person is asking and engaging the person that's talking. The other two Southwest people are watching the other four to see if they're paying attention. 
because if they're not paying attention, they're not serviced, they're not outwardly oriented. When I go to, I would go to meet people, you know, I'd be sitting in a, in a conference room. I would always sit at the corner. I wouldn't sit across from them. I'd sit at the corner and I would drop my pen on purpose because I want to see if they, they dive for the pen without thinking, you know, or sometimes I've had people kind of look at it and go, is this a test? I'm like, if you have to ask that question, then you're done. And I, my favorite always, Lance, was with salespeople. <laughs> is I said, what's the most important skill of a salesperson? They always say, well, it's listening. I'm going, no, it's not. It's questioning. It's questioning first and then listening. So you guide the conversation. And for the last 20 minutes, you've been telling me how great you are and haven't asked me a single question about the job. Get out of here. You're not going to get hired. I had one senior guy get so pissed off at me. He got angry at doing it because I said, you know, this interview's over. You haven't asked me a single question. I said, we're done here. I got up to stand up. He goes, wait a minute. And I'm like, why? And he says, I said, you look a little angry right now. He says, I am. I said, why is that? He says, because this isn't the way I would conduct an interview normally. This isn't me. It's just you were really engaging and I just felt like we were having a conversation. And I'm like, okay. I said, tell you what, why don't you calm down? I'll go get another cup of coffee and we'll try it again. And he goes, we don't need to do that. I'm ready. I have a few questions for you. And he just went right into it, right? So he was able to adjust in sales. If you can adjust, he got hired. It, it, I think a lot of, I think you're right. The biggest thing what you said though is they rush into it, you know, and we keep saying the same thing, slow to hire, fast to fire. And people just won't listen to it because it takes so much time. But if it, it's an investment in the right people, right? Absolutely. And, you know, it's it's uh, working your plan, planning your work and working your plan. Hiring is it needs to be planned. You know, everybody needs to understand what you're looking for, yeah. what, what you want this person to do. You need to have an appropriate job description. The shotgun approach that's typically uh, you see in the hospitality industry just doesn't work. Creates a bad culture. So my question is, I'm going to make I'm going to make a guess here that somewhere in some desk, you had a whole bunch of potential employees that you were constantly looking to hire. You never stop doing this. If you see somebody in Starbucks, you see somebody, you you know, this is I'm going to earmark this person. There's somebody that someday maybe. Should work. That is so spot on, Gary, uh, and 100% true. I always, always pre hire. So I always tell everybody always be hiring. There's, there's a guy, a local guy I know that owns a coffee shop. I told him that. I sat down and I told him, he asked me, he goes, What are your tips? And I said, Number one, always be hiring. It's okay to pre hire. I had a piece of a restaurant. I was um, shared a concept, an independent restaurant, like a fixing and flipping some restaurants here and there. And a partner of mine called me when I was out of town. He goes, Hey, it looks like we're going to need a cashier. Who do you have pre hired? And I said, Oh, let me go to the list. Oh, it's so and so's brother. He's fantastic. He's ready to quit his job anytime. I go through my digital, you know, notes in my in my phone and uh, called him, and he's ready to go. So tell me a little bit about some of the general managers that you've seen that have failed and and what you know they 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 seem to be doing well and what caused that failure for them well, whether it was over time or life changes or what it was what did you see with that and and how did you handle it you know leadership failures are typically you know do you have your team behind you or not and in a lot of them well it all starts with building rapport and building trust that's the foundation for everything in leadership as you know and a lot of failed uh, GM failures are because they they really never had their team. They never really had control. And then maybe there were some core staff from the previous GM, if there was one. Uh, I assume there would be a previous GM. And, and, and all of a sudden, they ha- start to have that turnover. And then they can't 
control the team and control is a bad word, but you know what I mean. And then all of a sudden they can't, the new people that they're hiring no longer fit the culture and people no longer feel comfortable. And look, we, we see that at our favorite restaurant all the time. You know, whatever happened is such and such. I mean, fill in the blank. Everybody can name a, a restaurant that they used to go to and something changed. Usually it's the staff that mm-hmm. changed. Yeah. And you can feel it. I mean, it's the, there's a visceral feeling in an organization, in a, in a restaurant or a retail store or something. Uh, my wife was just talking to me about a store she went into yesterday and they had some turnover because the manager changed and they had a couple other people and they're filling in and doing it. She says, I don't even want to go there anymore. It's a completely different feeling walking in that store. And that's really the general manager's responsibility, isn't it? A- absolutely. A hundred percent. And, you know, that along along the lines of, of that, it's all about what their leadership style is. If you're in a restaurant, and it's a peak period. You know, are they out on the floor or not? I can't tell you how many times I'm eating dinner and in the middle of a lunch rush or, or dinner rush, I should say, and and I never see a manager. It's like, where are they? You know, you should see and be able to pick up on who's in charge, who's checking on guests, who's watching staff. It's nothing more annoying than myself, my wife, we need more water. And there's three staff huddled in a corner, you know, 30 feet from us. And we see nobody that's 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 doing what they're supposed to be doing. It's like this isn't rocket science, <laughs> you know. It really isn't. It's just who has the attention to detail and actually who cares? Who who really cares about what's going on? Well, and I would think that keeping the floor moving and active and prioritized and doing the right things and needing that kind of centralized leadership at times just to guide. But if they're not there, it's like the front of the restaurant where the clients and customers are kind of important. It would be like in the kitchen, the chef sitting in the in the in the office, not guiding the food uh, being prepared. I mean, I've never seen that. <laughs> so why would the person out front do it without being engaged? Right. Everything in the restaurant business is time sensitive. How long does it take to greet the customer that's walking in the door in a full service restaurant? How long does it take for them to get their drinks, to have them take the food order, to have the food delivered to the table? If the leader or leadership, it could be the AGM, it could be the shift supervisor. If people that aren't in the right place, you know, there's an old expression in the hospitality business, aces in their places. If, if, if the aces are not in their places, monitoring, you know, the KPIs, you know, those key performance indicators. Are, are things happening as they should? How do you know until you get a bad Yelp review these days to know that, oh my gosh, it took so long for my food. Well, how would anybody know if nobody that cares is watching? <laughs> Very important. Well, and what you do is you bring up two problems. I always say this uh, in, in leadership, every problem that we look at has potentially two solutions. And I don't mean either or. What I mean is the immediate solution like someone's food isn't isn't there and it was expected. So somebody says, let me go take care of that right now. And they go get the food. All right. And the second problem is, why did it take so long? What what happened in the system that broke down? You know, do we have somebody that's sick? OK, that happens. That, was there something, you know, some other thing that happened where they had to re, redo the food because somebody dropped a plate? But is there a root cause? And when you talk about uh, all of this stuff, I, I think we could write a book on the microcosm of leading and supervising a restaurant and how that leads to all things in leadership. And the reason I the reason I say that, I'm doing a, a program campaign this year on, you know, you're a bad boss when. And you said something earlier about 
you know, hiring and a general manager and a service person and so on. And you mentioned this little thing because I believe, as I've said before, great leaders do a thousand little things right. And the thing that you said was how much when they communicate, how much eye contact do they make? It's a little thing, but it gives you a strong indication of that person's ability to communicate and engage these human beings who are running around trying to take care of other human beings. It's not about the food. You're 100% correct. It's do they have that approachability factor? Do they have the ability to mentor and coach people without the right communication skills or style, depending on the business you're in? You know, is it fine dining? Is it quick service? It might matter. It might not matter. It depends who your audience is, you know, your team, but still crucial, crucial to your success. Yeah. So there's a couple of things you just said uh, as we talked about watching the floor and somebody's not there. You know, Woody Allen says 80% of success is showing up. So the first thing is, are they present? Are they on the floor? The second thing is, if they're on the floor, are they approachable? <laughs> Can somebody come up there and ask them for help or ask them for you know something that they might need in the service they're providing? And then the third thing, I think, is the skill of the leader being able to coach. Are they able to coach with, without people feeling demeaned, right? And that's all about tone of voice, how you, it's how you communicate the message. And we, we teach right. us in our leadership program all Absolutely. the time. 93% of the message, 93% is body language and tone. 7% is the words. So I can just imagine you've worked and you've had the opportunity to work with a few leaders that do it really well and some that don't, that don't use the right. Absolutely. Numbers. And I always tell people too, when it comes to leaders and doing like performance reviews, performance appraisals of staff. It, it should be more of a formal process. Uh, it's, it's quite informal, actually, yet formal in that you're summing up possibly the last six months if you're doing them twice a year or once a quarter or whatever it might be. But the best leaders, the best coaches, the best mentors in the restaurant business or anywhere are giving that feedback shift by shift because coaching, just like whether you're a basketball player shooting free throws, the coach needs to tell you to adjust your your elbow or adjust something in the way you're holding the ball. It needs to be done immediately. You can't tell them three months later at a performance appraisal. People once, uh, many people have said to me, I'll never have an ulcer because I get all this stuff off my chest as it needs to be off my chest on a daily basis. That's what a good coach is. You have to give the feedback at the appropriate time. You're not going to be, you know, sharing sensitive comments about what somebody did terribly wrong in the middle, you know, in front of other staff as well. Right. There's an appropriate time and appropriate way. It reminds me uh, when I was uh, working in college, I worked at Friendly Ice Cream up in the Northeast. And uh, I, I can remember having, I started, I started working there in the summer and I'm washing dishes and I'm running out on the floor, grabbing dishes, putting them back there. You know, I'm practically running because I'm, I'm into it. You know, I'm, you know, 18, 19 years old and I'm making stuff happen. And one day I'm, I'm, I'm coming out of the back room where the dishes are, the door flies open, the container to hold dishes in my hand. And the, and the manager stops me and he says, Gary, stop. And I'm like, why, why? You know, and he says, what do you see? I said, what do I, what do you mean? What do I see? I, dirty dishes. I got to get the dirty dishes. And he says, no, stop. And he pulls me aside. He says, look at the floor. And he says, tell me what you see. And I say, I just see a bunch of workers and, and, and customers. He goes, all right, stop. Look at these three customers over here. Do they have napkins in front of them? No. Okay, that means nobody has said hello to them yet because that was our cue, right? Do they have a glass of water yet? 
do they have a, do they have the slip in front of them, which means their order's been taken? How about over here where the ice cream is being made? Do you see ice cream that needs to be delivered? You know, because forget the dirty dishes and start looking, you know, expanding your view. And I can remember as a coach, the first thing he did was he asked a question. And we talk about this all the time in coaching. Ask questions first and then guide. And we're trying to shift the paradigm away from the perception of a sports coach who tells you what to do to a business coach who asks you what you know first and then guides. And I worked in the restaurant. I can remember. I can remember. Mike McKay was the guy's name. I remember his name, okay, because of the way he coached and led me and 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 challenged me to open up my eyes and see more in the business. And that's why I got out of the restaurant business because I couldn't stand it. But let's not go there. <laughs> But I did it for four years while I was in college, and I learned a lot about leadership and attention to detail and process and coaching, all of those things. I think if everybody had your experience and my experience in the restaurant business, they would be much better leaders because it's a pretty incredible uh, opportunity to have your eyes wide open to understand, you know, food is very personal to people and to be able to serve food successfully, you know, in, in a hospitable manner uh, in a clean environment is a, is, a, is a pretty good talent. Day in and day out to people sometimes that appreciate it and don't, to be able to smile and just accept whatever comes your way. It's it's a tough job. I, I always use the example of going into restaurants yeah. or bars. If the leadership principle is always learn people's names, learn their names. And I, I, I go to a bar, Lance, and I learn the guy's name or the gal's name right away because if it gets really Absolutely. busy and I and I yell out and I go, hey, Lance, can I get another? You'll turn <laughs> around. You, you'll, like, you'll, you'll hear the name. But if I go, you're my well, buddy. Yeah, it doesn't work. Gary, we're a lot alike. I embarrass my wife all the time. Actually, I don't think she even gets embarrassed anymore. She just shakes her head because I'm the, I'm that guy also. I'll just use somebody's name on a regular basis. But you know, you, the story you just told about your your guy at Friendlies reminds me of one of my favorite quotes in leadership. You know, when people have asked, "Well, why are you why were you so good in the restaurant business and others aren't?" So leaders have a vision that other people don't. We just I mean, that's what leadership is. So what exactly in your story and, you know, you you have the ability, anybody can develop that. But in the beginning, you you might not. But leadership in any operation is being the visionary, is seeing those things that other people don't. Well, what's going to happen if we don't do this now, either immediately or 10 minutes from now? You know, in the hospitality business, that's crucial. Yeah, and let's even extend that a little bit in their hiring. What if we hire the right people and you have lower turnover and what's the business impact of that? Less training, less cost of recruiting. Absolutely. You have people you can trust and rely on. I mean, all kinds of things that come out of that over time. And one of the things that I do when I go into organizations, one of the first things I do, you talk about key performance indicators you mentioned earlier, KPIs, is I look at the departmental turnover. If the turnover is high and the manager's making excuses, I know exactly where the problem is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and with that, when you look at the KPIs, you look at turnover and then you look at sales. What's the sales? What's the sales record? Are you comp positive, negative? What's what are those trends? And you start to compile that. And it's uh, it's pretty telling, pretty telling. Well, I know that a lot of the work that you do today is to help people find opportunities as franchise owners and then guide them along the way at times. Is there anything you'd want to say about what's that process look like? Do you ever find somebody that says, oh, I want to be a franchise owner and you spend 20 minutes with them? You go, yeah, this is not a good idea. <laughs> well, you know, that does happen. It doesn't happen that often because my true belief is 
I represent over 600 franchise brands today, and there's truly a brand or two for everyone. Uh, in every at in, every investment level, there's a big misconception that got to be a millionaire to own a franchise. And the reality is, I have quite a few home-based franchises. I have a young lady right now with about 25,000 in the bank and a little extra in a in a 401k, and and there there are $60,000 franchises where she can do incredibly well, you know, and make $100,000 a year. But yeah, there are or a lot more than that as well. But there are quite a few people that I talk to that maybe want to do a franchise that maybe financially they're not going to get qualified for. You know, they don't have enough liquidity or net worth. Um, but you know, then I I do have quite a few people that come to me with very specific interests, and other people probably the other fifty percent. You know, Lance, you're the expert. Tell me what to do. And by the way, on my website, I do have a free assessment that you you know people can go to. It'll take you ten or fifteen minutes, and based on your mindset. And your skill set, your past history, uh, and your goals and investment level, it'll actually help me determine. That's part of what I use to determine what might be a, a great franchise for anyone. But you know, there is a franchise for everybody. Uh, there's a category, whether it's uh, a home-based model, whether it's uh, through the pandemic, we've had all kinds of home repair, home maintenance, flooring, blinds, all of these different. You know, everybody's stuck at home want something to help their house, uh, fix up their house, I should say. But there are a lot of different brands that are performing incredibly well today, as long as you're not in a big, big sort of restaurant model. That's good to know. And we'll put that link to your website in the show notes to let people know that they can go take that assessment, maybe contact you because maybe I'll take it myself and I'll probably find out I should be a franchise owner for for friendly ice cream instead of running a leadership consultant firm. <laughs> you know, like, no, you should not be doing what you're doing. That's really great. So I'm going to ask you the last question that I always ask everybody, Lance. I don't know if I warned you on this, but here it is. If you could write yourself a letter and send it back 20, 25 years to Lance and give yourself some advice, what advice would you give you? 25 years ago, you know, life is short. And you just have to be happy. So it sounds sappy, but it's the reality. I left Wall Street because I wanted to be happy and I didn't want to be in a concrete jungle known as New York City. And I moved west and I found what I thought and I, I think and I'm happy. I'm, I've been happy, but you know, find your happiness, find your happy spot. And in my world, I'll help find people their perfect franchise so they can be happy. And you know what? It's not always the passion that everybody thinks. You know, I have a friend that owns a ton of franchised hair salons. And I'll never forget his reaction as he told it to me. You know, uh, I can't believe somebody would give a bald guy a hair salon opportunity. Uh, why would I care about this this offering, so to speak? And the reality is, you know, people can be passionate just about making money so they could spend more time with their family because for a lot of people, that's what it's all about. More freedom and more time. So yeah, money's always a means. Yeah. Yeah. Money buys freedom for a lot of people. Yeah, it does in this country. It certainly does. Well, Lance, I really appreciate your time and your insights today. I, I love hearing about you know your starts and the whole thing about hiring is such a big topic. And we say it over and over again. You know, take your time, hire the right people, always be hiring. And not anybody in business knows how important that is. I'm always recruiting for the work that I do. Many of the statarians, as I call them, that work with me were in the pipeline for a few years before I engaged them in the work that we do because our brand is so important and they're just amazing, amazing people. So. Thanks a lot for sharing your, your wisdom, your time, and your thoughts with us today. 
Absolutely. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Mr. Lance Growlick. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thanks again for listening to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Take care, be well, and be great. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com, S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S.com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.